0: Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast.
1: Celebrating its 75th episode, the Glass Cannon Woo-hoo! Podcast. Can you believe it? My name is Joe O'Brien. And I'm Troy Valley.
0: He had nothing this week. I he had was so nothing. excited. Uh, it's seventy-five. That let's, we're
1: seventy-five. Let's keep it clean. <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's keep it straight. Uh, seventy-five episodes of the Glass Cannon Podcast. So excited to be doing this with you, buddy. I can't believe how long we have been at this crazy game, and we're still having fun. Well. We're having okay time. I'm having a good time. Well,
0: that's all that matters.
1: Yeah, your fun is going down the tubes now that uh, <laughs> our party's so good. But this week, you turn it around on us, oh. you jerk! Oh, about time! <laughs> <laughs> well, you figured it out. I mean, you were just like, you know what I gotta do? I gotta go spores. Yeah. What are they gonna do about that? Shoot these spores with your bow and arrow, Nestor. Oh. Man. Shoot him with a bullet. What Where's are you gonna do?
0: Healer now to help ability damage and ability drain.
1: I can't, believe, oh. I can't believe I'm even like joking about this. This is a terrible, terrible situation. And we'll talk about that more as we get to the uh, latter half of the episode. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what we have on tap for this week. Okay. This I wanna talk about dungeon crawls. This is a dungeon crawl episode. Oh. So we'll talk a little bit about what that means exactly. My favorite. I wanna talk about light. Ah, a little something that we should touch we sh- on. I think we should talk about it. And a little special thing. I actually told you about this a little bit in advance yesterday. Uh, I want to talk about a couple advanced races. So we're going to talk about that a little bit Ooh, later in the show. Right. And then we have some listener mail. So back to the top of the episode. We, If we had remembered from episode 74, we opened a door into darkness. We didn't know what we were going to find on the other side. And we start to uncover this pot, or I don't know what you would call it, but seeing the the grime on the window, uh, the window that looked down into the, what did you call it? Sepulcher. The sepulcher, that's right. And then going in and seeing all the, the crushed items that were once these gifts you know left in the tomb of Nargrim Steelhand you know, like funerary gifts Yeah funerary gifts all crushed You're uncovering a story by just through visuals. Yeah it's, it's and like and being an, it's like being an archaeologist, yeah. you know, you're dig- digging underground, you're putting together the clues, we find the rat carcasses eaten. You know, you're like, "Oh my god, someone's alive down here eating these things." The, the
0: sarcophagus is open, there's a cage that looks like it's broken next to it, the broken funerary gifts. What is going on in this tomb? <laughs> things have gotten out of hand. <laughs>
1: Well, we we start this process of, yes, uncovering these clues, but in the context of a classic dungeon crawl Mm -hmm. where it's, you got a door to the left, you got a door to the right. Which one are you going to do? We go this way. I mean, yes, we had that in Red Lake Fort but it didn't feel like a dungeon crawl, per se. It's more of a sort of sprawling fort sort of thing. And yes, there are elements of it, and I believe Larry Wilhelm, when we interviewed him, had said that he had read some strategy and theories on like open-ended dungeon design. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that aspect was part of it, but this is that classic underground, in the dark, w- looking for traps, looking for secret doors, finding secret doors, mm-hmm. uncovering the story as we go, I mean, just the image of Baron and Umlo and Ingerhild walking into that room with the dwarven statues and them being in complete darkness and being able to see it and Will not being able to see anything. It was just so interesting to me to uncover those as we went. And how do you feel about dungeon crawls in general? You like them. You said it's your favorite. They're my favorite. I mean, so more so than role playing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy role playing. I think it's it's obviously fifty percent of the game. Um, but I love dungeon crawls. As a as a person who draws the maps, I like drawing. They're always square. You know what I mean? It's very yes. easy to draw. There's doors that lead to another room. I love that. I love being in dungeon crawls because it's like ah, do I go left or right? And you got to be very aware of their traps, but you don't want
1: to be over aware. Perception jet, perception check, perception. On every square, right? Uh,
0: that's exhausting. But, but that, not
1: knowing what's behind every door, not knowing if it's gonna be it's gonna be immediate combat or it's gonna be uh. uh a weakened, good-aligned person you need to save or it's it's going to be a creature, an animal that's neutral and not really involved. There could be so many options. And and especially when you're doing something that's written
0: by, you know, Paizo, you know that every room is going to have something interesting, whether it's a creature, whether it's more story, whether it's treasure, a trap.
1: Yeah, for any of you guys that have never read a Paizo module, every room, anything that's in that room, they give you, it's not super long-winded, a really tight descriptive reason why what's in that room is in that room, Mm -hmm. how it got there, and what its objectives are, so that you can really work with whatever your players throw at you, because you know the background and the objectives for every creature or whatever uh, trap haunt might be in any given room. And so it gives you so much to work with and they're really fun to read. And sometimes it could be frustrating that your players don't get it. You know, and you've said this before on Canon fodder when you want your players to ask the right question or look in the right place and they're not doing it. Sometimes you just got to let that stuff go yeah. unseen and then talk about it on Canon fodder, <laughs> but not everybody has a recap show after their games. <laughs> well, well, they should. Well, they should. Hey, actually I have a little fun fact for you. Hmm. Do you have any idea where dungeon crawls came from? Like what the origin of what we call a quote-unquote dungeon crawl? Uh, no. No, I don't. According to the internet, which I looked this up on. is always truthful. It is always truthful. Uh, Gary Gygax was quoted in Dungeon Magazine number 112 as identifying the origin of the dungeon crawl style to a war game he was playing, in which the invading army needed to breach a castle by sneaking through an old escape tunnel that someone had dug out of the dungeons of the castle. The players had such a blast playing the scenario that they started to play it over and over, recreating the dungeon maze of how they get into the castle, and it kept evolving until they just didn't play the war game aspect anymore until that was completely dropped that is and cool. they just focused on playing a dungeon crawl i knew it had something to do i assumed it had something
0: to do with war games because you and i both read that book of dice and men which yes if you're looking for a cool book about the history of the game read of dice and men you can read it in a
1: day yeah i read it in like two days yeah. and i'm a slow reader <laughs> and yeah it all this whole game developed out of those like war games it's neat isn't it
0: that is so cool i didn't know that though that yeah they had to just sneak in
1: that's why they call it a fun fact yeah I want to bring up a little behind-the-scenes thing that obviously the listeners wouldn't know about, and I don't know if you want me to talk about this. That I'm shirtless? (laughs) He always records Catted Fodder shirtless. Today was chest day. (laughs) He's drinking a shake. It's shirtless in front of me. Well, one of the biggest challenges that we come up against in these sort of dungeon crawls is light. And I say that it's Mm. a challenge both to players that can't see in the dark and to GMs to remember how much light is available to the players and how far distance it goes and how some of them have dark vision some of them have low light vision some of them have no such bonus keeping that all together can be tough and so a little behind the scenes look you actually prepped us for this before we sat down to record episode 75 I did just just a very brief thing where you said look guys you open up the door I don't have to tell you anything that's inside, I can just tell you, it's gonna be dark. So be aware of how far your character can see, be aware of the rules of light and how they work. And so we prepped that before we came into the session. And I think in general that's a good idea to do as a GM, if you're coming up on a slightly complicated part and you know that that's gonna happen. Give your You don't wanna give your players too much insight, but being able to say like, brush up on these rules, keeping it vague enough that they're not gonna know exactly what's happening, but they will get a sense of the environment. It can help to speed things along when you're actually playing, which is what happened in the show. I mean, if you yeah. if you listen back, you know, I had spouted right out that beyond 20 feet, Nestor was going to have conceal was going to have to shoot into concealment or whatever. Like, I don't just know that randomly. Like, you had asked us to look it up immediately prior, and I think that it is an interesting, difficult rule that people tend to forget about.
0: It's one of those crunchy rules, I think, and we could, I I wish off the top of my head I could think of other rules like that, you know, acrobatics checks, climb checks to a certain extent of those stuff that there's just a little bit of crunch in there that sometimes you hand wave it. But I like the idea of using light. I think that it should be on the players to police themselves, but I do not have a group of players that enjoys doing that for a rule such as light. You're okay with it, you know what I mean? But like, oh, but I also forget it. You also forget it, you know Like, what I mean? honestly forget it, like, a lot. And I understand, like, if you are... So who has... Della and Baron have dark D- vision. Dark vision, right? yeah. So you and Nestor do not. So if Della says, okay, I'm gonna cast light on Nestor's chest, and you do a torch, then, like, let's play with that
1: reality. I think that's fun, so roll your 20% mischance. Right, well, to me, it's a situation where the mechanics are there to further... Encapsulate the environment yeah. to remind you where you are and what you are seeing. If you can't see, if you're, and you're reminded of that, it makes the the fiction of the narrative so much more interesting and fun. And you can picture being there. You picture how scary it is when all of a sudden you just can't see. And something just blah, comes out of the
0: darkness, you know? <laughs> right. And, if none of you have dark
1: vision. And you know that other things in there can see. Yeah. That, that, that is classic horror. When you can't see it, you can hear something in the room and you know it sees you. I mean, that is classic horror setup. Yeah. And I, I think that it is awesome to be able to showcase Baron's ability to be able to see in the dark. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of his addition to the team and that is one of the reasons that i brought up this homework which we'll talk about in a couple minutes i want to talk a little bit more about the what happened in the episode but this is why i wanted to bring up special races because this is one of those things that really differentiates those special races from humans is things like seeing in the dark before we get to that though man what a disgusting situation we're uncovering here with this edder starving and, and eating rats and 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 smashing the, the head of his ancestor or not his ancestor his kinsman uh, it just it's just so brutal and and awful and nasty and 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 all of it set up against the beautiful backdrop of that painting in the back of the uh, why do i keep forgetting the word sepulcher sepulchre. the back of the sepulcher sepulcher <laughs> <Sepulchre. laughs> with that great you know, image of that scene, that story. I mean, is there any more that you can give us on that particular scene or that painting? I mean, I, you fleshed it out pretty well how we can see each individual member. Like, how many were there? Is there a number on it? Do they just say there's a lot of kinsmen? It's, Do they It's say Nargram there's...
0: and the Seven Dwarfs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, but you, you guys are still
0: really uncovering this room when all... Shit broke loose, yeah. so I think you know those of you who survive can go back and really start uh, looking at it. But the, the key was it's Nargrim surrounded by his posse. You know what I mean? Yeah. His giant killing posse—some kin, some not. You know what I mean? And and each one very distinct in their appearance. So for Umlo, it's you know, so Reynolds, religious. In yeah, barren. There's just like. I want to be a great dwarf someday. That's a you know a, a throughline that's really coming out of Baron's character, and now he's seeing firsthand like all of those men were great in their own right.
1: Yeah, um, and you know this started with like episode that. one with Baron, with uh, the way Grant played him, just trying to bring out the dwarf in him, the dwarfiness, and he's very good at it. But progressively, as we've gotten met Ingrahild and gotten deeper into the adventure, he's definitely sunk not only more into embodying the personality idiosyncrasies of a dwarf but also now he's attaching himself in a ancestral way to the dwarven race in a way that he has not before and i think it's so awesome that this pre-written module has given him that chance to play his character that well it's it's one of those things where The story is feeding right into the PC, and the PC is growing because of the story. And Mm. when those things are clicking, I think it's just really awesome. I remember being very excited when he first told me he wanted to play a dwarf, because I
0: was like, good, I think we should have one of those in the party. It's going to mean something later on. And now it really worked out perfectly.
1: Yeah, it's really, really working well. Well, then you sort of pull a little trick on us. I mean, Is it you pulling a trick on us with uh, Ingrid Hill being like, hey, you want to go into that carpet of baubles or whatever it is like (laughs) should i open it i mean i get it i do get it but uh it was it's no joke it's extremely 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 deadly so this thing is these spores come out over this whole room some 60 foot room yeah it's a mold and it's doing con damage every single round Mm -hmm. we end with della just like flat out dying like just dying right now Della, Ingerhild, and Umlo are all dying. I can only assume we're starting, you know, next session, say, Fortitude saves. And if those don't go well, I mean, Matthew's been rolling poorly so far, which is the the situation. I mean, you know, the heel checks, we'll try to get him in there, but who knows? You yeah. know, what else?
0: Matthew was very shaken at the end of that. <laughs> at the end of the app <laughs> after we went off the air. You know, it's, it's and of course, me ending like that, like, you're still got to roll these checks at the beginning of next episode, and now you've got Lockmore or whoever this is looking down upon you I mean whoever it is stakes are up
1: Uh, yeah and it's a great I think image of I can picture the whole thing down deep deep within the earth this poison air poison cloud like a cloud kill basically coming out and you know some characters are fine but others are (laughs) coughing choking and while we're all distracted by this this guy up top is able to begin whatever plan he's going to hatch to seal us down here for good right and that is so scary the idea of going into the dungeon crawl and never coming out because you got locked in or something you know right. sealed
0: in air supplies being cut off spores going all around and the fact that you have to do two consecutive saves that's I mean that's brutal because if you're already struggling ah oh, finally got one save. You're not going to get that second consecutive save. It's really difficult. You're not going to?
1: I mean, I shouldn't say you're not. But that seems uh, presumptive. Are there a lot of bottle caps sitting around the room? <laughs> I don't think there are. <laughs> well, it is, you know, another one of your brutal, brutal cliffhangers. But I think it comes at an interesting time. Yeah. It is also another scene in which we have a character on the brink of death, like we have with Galabras up against Grenzel Deck And... You know, you, we we're left hanging in the balance here. We'll see, we'll see. We'll have to see how those die rolls go. I'm glad it's turning out the way it is. I I, I needed a W. Yeah, yeah. You were <laughs> behind a little bit, and believe me, if there's one thing that could get through all of our ability to deal damage, it is a poison cloud. It's a great <sighs> idea. It's it's just the great. What do they call it? Like the great leveler? Or you know what I mean? It is equalizer. The, the great the equalizer. equalizer. Yeah. It is the thing that brings everybody back down to remember you are flesh and blood. You are mortal. And you can, when you have Khan ticking down by a die roll every round, you're in bad, bad shape. There's a lot of stats that can hurt you. None worse than Khan. None worse than Khan. <laughs> Khan! <laughs> Khan! Well, I gave you a I give you a little homework for this cannon fodder. I don't often do that because I know you're a very busy man, mm-hmm. but i prepping sessions, always prepping GCP sessions. I wanted to give you a little homework because the, you know, across the board if you read guides about how to build a character pretty much everyone says that one of the best races to use across any given class is the human. The human is the, is the best class. The one thing though that humans are the weakest at compared to almost every other class base classes and advanced classes alike is their vision in the darkness and underground and even in low light. I mean technically by the rules a human at dusk in the forest has to roll a 20% mischance on every attack that they make against someone because they with the fading light they can't really see well so it's like you have to be cognizant of that. That is the one thing. If you're not cognizant of that, you are overpowering
0: humans in your game. Yeah, and that's the thing is most GMs just hand wave it because the players don't want to deal with light. You don't
1: want to deal with light. So that makes humans completely OP for <laughs> Completely <a race>. OP. <laughs> and you and I have definitely, the reason I put this out to you is said, pick two races that you're really interested in that are advanced races. And tell me, never tell me what they are and why, why you're interested in them. The reason I'm asking you specifically is because I know you love this shit Mm -hmm. and do have no interest in playing humans. Whereas I'm pretty much the exact opposite. It's hard for me to not play a human. You kind of pushed me to challenge myself to not play a human when I created Lork. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'll do a half fork, but he's very human, you know. I was so happy when you finally decided on Half-Orc because I'm like, he's going to make a friggin' human. <laughs>
0: like a party of humans.
1: Yeah. But uh, Half-Orcs aren't too far from human, but you know, whatever. It's small moves, small moves. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I have my reasons for that and that's not what today's discussion is about. What I want to talk about today is two advanced classes that you have some level of interest races. in. Races. Races. I'm sorry. Races. Who they are and, and why.
0: Well, in my game, the, uh, Your Wrath of the Righteous campaign, I'm an Oriad Inquisitor. And yes. I remember when I told you, you're like, what the hell's an Oriad? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a
1: giant rock man made of stone. Oh, there's such, such a cool class. It's a cool class. Race, rather. I keep, we keep saying class, yeah. race. I, um, I can totally get behind them, too. Well, now, I mean, I've had the benefit of playing with one for a while, so I kind of get it. But yeah. d- d- you can understand them. I can wrap my head around them. They're very cool. But the two races that I chose uh, with my homework, uh,
0: the first is the drow.
1: Uh, (laughs)
0: Ah. It is a a bit of a classic race, though. It is a classic race, but it's one that most people don't play because a drow is usually uh, considered evil. Like yes. drows are just evil, and you know, most GMs don't allow evil characters in the game. But I'm when I first got back into RPGs is when you got me into, uh, right before Skyrim came out. You're like, you never played the Elder Scrolls? Oh my God, a new Elder Scrolls is coming out, it's called Skyrim, it's the fifth one, you've gotta play this. And that really helped me transition back into RPGs is when you got me into Skyrim. And I played a uh, Dark Elf, I played a drow in Skyrim. So my yeah. sort of reemerged- dun- Dunmer. A Dunmer, right. Dunmer, yeah, Dunmer. Um, so my reemergence back into RPGs is completely ring- linked with. You know that's And
1: that's so funny because I played a dark elf in uh, Morrowind. Morrowind, which yeah. was my first Elder Scrolls experience, and that was. The Morrowind is the home of Dark Elves. Yeah. And it was really neat to be on an island where, like, you were the master race, even though you were like a minority everywhere else in the world. In this one place, you ran the show, and they are pretty much evil, and they don't trust outsiders, and they're nasty to everybody. It's really an interesting race. But I'm sorry, I keep going on. Uh, so, why Drow? Well, I just think.
0: I, what I would love to do is play an anti paladin drow, a drow anti paladin. I oh mean, that's the, the class that I really want to play in, like Hell's Vengeance, which is meant for evil characters. Uh, if, if if you guys ever want to run me in that, <laughs> I will be an anti paladin drow. That to me would be such an amazing
1: class. Do you think it's possible to play a drow, or especially an anti paladin drow, in a regular party? You'd have with to have good-aligned a characters. Very,
0: uh, you know, very open GM. I mean, obviously we're doing that right now. And you'd now. have to do a lot of work to make that evil. character. Character work with the good characters. Yeah, because the drow—they're coming from the underworld, right? right? You know, they're coming from the the abyss or or whatever. And so, the darklands. Uh, the darklands—that's what I was looking for. The, you can't just be like, "Well, he's a drow, but he's a he's a really good drow. He's one of the good ones." You know what I mean? There's even the best among there are stained. Um, even the best
1: among them are stained by that world. Can we um, talk about the mechanics a little bit? Uh, sure. Like what, I mean, what 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 makes a drow mechanically? Uh, mechanically, they
0: get a uh, a plus two to Dex and Charisma, minus two to Constitution. Ah,
1: so so like elves,
0: just like elves. Is that what elves have the minus? Yes. Okay.
1: So they're not very. Uh... Well, actually, elves might get intelligence rather than charisma. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's weird. A plus two to charisma for a drow. Yeah, elves don't get a plus <laughs> two to charisma. I don't think.
0: It, pretty interesting. They they have um, they're immune to sleep. Gain a plus two against enchantment spells and effects, just like elves do. But this is very interesting. Drows possess spell resistance equal to six plus their total number of class levels. Oh, wow. I never do that until I just read that right now. Drows have spell resistance six plus... Two. So you start off with SR7.
1: That is really cool. That is really any cool. Anytime any creature or monster does a spell or spell like ability, ability targeted at you, they have to roll a caster level check
0: to see if they get through. So imagine you're a drow anti-paladin. You start with SR7 and you're immune to sleep effects. You get a plus two enchantment and then all the stuff that a paladin has that allows you like you're immune to all those effects like Sir Will has. I'm going to build a drow anti-paladin. No, I'm going to build it. Uh, I'm it. I'm building it. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I called it. What was the second race? Uh, the second race, I, I may even be pronouncing this wrong and I don't think you even know what it is. Is Undine.
1: Undine undine i don't know undine undine
0: uh, I actually have no idea what it is u n d i n e uh it's like a basically a water elemental person
1: oh okay
0: yeah they're 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 humans who trace their ancestry to creatures from the plane of water all right um so you you but you see like they're 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 humanoid ish, but they're you know flowing water. I just think what an interesting uh, race to play because what if you ever like imagine an Undine on Rags keelboat yes how cool would that be Very when cool. Halger went over I'm sure they have stuff where they just like immediately
1: just pass all swim like, checks you know yeah
0: uh, so I don't know. I, that's probably the next race that I'm gonna be when left open ended to play a character. I'm gonna try. and Wow. Make so are that
1: they way. kind of like ethereal? I don't. I don't mean like uh, like incorporeal. I mean, are they like weird and detached? Like, do they have normal societies? Do, do you know anything about like that level? Uh, it's okay to say no, Troy. No, I don't. Uh, Man, you really did not do good homework. I do my homework. You turned in a C paper. I chose two races. <laughs>
0: Um, it says that they... Uh, this I'm reading this straight off uh, D20PFSRD. They display a wide variation of skin tones ranging from pale turquoise to deep blue to sea green. Uh, they have straight, thick hair, um, which is a little bit darker than their skin. So imagine blue skin with, like, thick blue hairs. They don't have, like, seaweed hair like a merman. That would be merfolk. That's a different race. <laughs> um, and, but, but I guess they're... They really resemble humans, they just have a sort of, they're a little more blue than Della, for example, this right. translucent fetchling. So
1: yeah, it seems like a fetchling and an undine are sort of similar, where yeah. the fetchling is more shadow plane, the uh, undine is more water plane. It says their
0: most racially defining traits remain their fin-like ears and webbed hands and feet. Oh, that's cool. What so, is, so what are their go. bonuses? Um, their bonuses, they get a plus two to dex, plus two to wisdom, minus two to, what do you think? Water person. Water person, uh, I would say strength. Strength, yep. Minus two to strength. Plus two to dex, plus two wisdom, minus two strength. Um, cleric. Ranged cleric. <laughs> right. Well, you know, this is something. <laughs> that or I ranger. S- this is something I stopped doing recently. I started doing this when I was building classes. I would be like, I choose my class first, and then I would choose the race that gives me the best bonus to fit that class. Yes. And I've stopped doing that. I Now I pick the... The class that I want and the race that I want, and I make it work. Okay. Because I think that's 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 a little bit min maxi and I don't think it's necessary. I think it's so much more interesting. You know, how many, uh, you know, human fighters there are out there. How many, uh, halfling sorcerers? Because you get that bonus to charisma. You know, what I, mean? yeah. I, I think it's much more interesting to play a mix of racing classes that don't necessarily give you the best bonus. Um, yeah, challenging yourself. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I like that. Um, Undines can use hydraulic push once per day what does that do it's a spell it's like you you call forth a quick blast of water that knocks over or soaks and soaks a creature or a square you can use it to make a bull rush you can use it to you know uh knock somebody over um and it doesn't provoke an act, attack of opportunity. And as you level up, the, the uh, hydraulic push gets stronger and stronger and
1: stronger. Like the caster level goes up. with Oh, you. that's very cool. Um,
0: I don't know. That's it's a fun little race.
1: Yeah, that's neat. Drow and Undine. Uh, I'm I'm going to add one in because I, I just wanted to prepare one for myself and I wanted to think outside the box. You know, I, if I'm not human, I'm like dwarf, elf, you know, gnome, <laughs> one of those ones that right. are more uh, along the standard Core lines. Races. Uh, and honestly, I I thought I, I thought about it and I think that I really want to. And I used to think completely opposite of this. I think I want to try a rat folk. I think I want to check out a rat folk. And the reason being because, and this is one where I'm working in reverse uh, from the class, is because I really want to experiment with the arcanist class. I want to check that class Ah. out. It's a mix of wizard and sorcerer. And I'm not a big caster player. I usually just play more melee or ranged champions. I don't really do casters per se. But the arcanist is a neat mix of that the ease of in combat of playing a sorcerer with the intelligence and knowledge of a sort of a wizard, which I find very interesting. And but what they really are at the core is a class that experiments with and tries to twist and break the laws of magic. That is the idea behind the class. That is cool. And to me, when I picture that, I picture Rat folk. I'm picturing like, uh, like this creature that lives underground and is experimenting with all kinds of weird distortions in the magical arcane energies of the world. I just, I think it's a really neat picture and it fits be- mechanically because they well, me get guess, do you get a plus two to intelligence and plus two to charisma Dex plus dex. two to dex oh, okay. plus two to intelligence, minus two strength. Okay. And they are small creatures like halflings, but they have dark vision. Uh, they gain, uh, rodent empathy so they get plus four on any checks to try to influence rodents shadow rats for example
0: <laughs> like shadow rats man do we need a rat folk in the plague house
1: <laughs> and and i love this with the image of the arcanist rat folk gain a plus two racial bonus on craft alchemy perception and use magic device checks it's called uh. tinkerer
0: Oh, that's good. Cool. See, a rat folk alchemist is what I immediately was thinking. Right, that uh, too, Like well.
1: that would work well. Yeah. I, I think it's, I didn't used to wanna to play, because I'm like, how am I gonna play a rat? Like role play a rat? Which is usually why I lean back on humans, because I can imagine them better. I can imagine their motivations better. I can, in my opinion, play them more realistically. Mm-hmm. Rat folk I have a harder time with, even imagining, but I've started realizing, like, you can give them human elements, and that is what is going to make them interesting to us as human beings, is seeing a rat folk that has those features, as if they were a human that had lived underground for so long, right. or that had been shunned by society, hated in civil, in the civilized world, thought to be disgusting and disgraceful, and I, I think it would be a neat... Yeah, and if it's
0: a highly intelligent rat, it can talk like a highly intelligent rat would talk, you know what I mean? (laughs) It doesn't have to talk like this, like it's been living underground for many years.
1: It'd be like, I am a rat folk. Yeah, my name is James. (laughs) (laughs) Old Jim, the rat folk arcanist.
0: I will join you momentarily after I finish my chamomile.
1: I think I have a backup character. <laughs> <laughs> James the Rat Folk Arcanist. Arcanist. James the Rat Folk Arcanist, arcanist, arcanist
0: who enjoys Gamma tea.
1: <laughs> We're having a good time. <laughs> well, enough of our own questions, good buddy. It's time for a little Listener Mail. It's time for a Listener Mail. Oh, gotta get your brain on it. time and to Mail. You gotta cue that fucking A. You sure do. She sure <laughs> do. You know who's gonna cue that fucking A? Who? Matt from Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah. Thanks for writing in, Matt. We chose your question because the name of your town is the same as a borough of New York City. <laughs> oh, so that's uh,
0: what it means. Matt is cueing our fucking A. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now I get it. Now you... Yeah, yeah, you get I they it. Took another
1: week. So, uh, a little fun fact of uh, about Manhattan, Manhattan, Kansas. Matt, I have been to Manhattan, Kansas, because that is the home of. Kansas State University I don't oh, know if you knew that but I did I've been to the oh yeah you've been there too no I haven't but we have oh, a good buddy George who is uh, from there ah yes yes he went, to he went to K-State yeah so I was on that campus once and was in Manhattan, Kansas I found it very interesting to be in a a huge sprawling beautiful college campus with a huge football stadium literally right next to like Ox Farms. Like, you know, I went to college in in Philadelphia, so I was in the city. I I was like, what a completely different college experience. You were near Cheesesteak Farms.
0: (laughs) As far as the eye
1: could see. Uh, Drug dealer farms. Um, Well, Matt writes in and asks, how do you guys handle resurrection magic in a long running campaign Ooh. do you allow characters to get resurrected do you penalize the pc that died now we already have some examples obviously of this happening in our in our gcp game and we didn't really discuss resurrection so much and i think that maybe that was because we were at a lower level but how do you, Troy, and other games where you've run into stuff like this? How would you say you would like you like to handle death of high level characters when it comes to resurrection magic?
0: I, I'm fine with it uh, because resurrection—if you do it by—if you cast the resurrection spell by the rules, by the rules, it is not like ah, everything's back to normal. Right. First of all, you need a diamond worth ten thousand gold pieces. Yes. So, like, if it's someone what says, "I want my character back." I want you to cast Resurrection. I don't think it's like everyone in the party has to be like, well, if that's what you really want, we'll do it. Because that means everyone's going to have to pool up. You think that character has 10,000 gold left over? Just, just sitting it, around. Just sitting around that you can use that. So, I mean, the party would have to decide What's to his do carrying that. capacity? <laughs> uh, do you have 10,000 gold in your handy haversack? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, so that's the first thing. It's going to cost you 10,000 gold. Second of all... Don't you get a permanent negative level yes. when you're raised? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you're always going to be one level behind the party. Well, not necessarily. Like you're going to gain. You'll, it's going to take you a while to get
1: back up to the level of your PC friends if you no, do it y- by the book. No, you are thinking about it wrong. That is oh. not how negative levels I'm work. I'm thinking. Yeah, you're right. And you know this. You know this. It's like energy drain with a exactly with a uh, so what a per- what a permanent negative level means. It means it can never be healed. It can never be cured. You for the rest of the existence of your character, you take. Uh, I think it's like a minus 2 or minus 1. I think it's a minus 1 to attack rolls, skill checks, ability checks, like all that stuff across the board. Yeah,
0: it's a it's a minus 1 on ability checks, attack rolls, combat maneuver checks, combat movement, defense,
1: <laughs> saving throws and skill checks for the rest of your life. Right you take that disadvantage. For me, I am all about that. If a player really wants a character to come back and they are in a scenario where, by the narrative and fiction of the world or place that you're in at that time, it is feasible to get 10,000 gold together and resurrect a character, then I am all for it. And But I also institute this permanent negative level penalty, because there has to be something that is taken from you forever when you lose your life permanently. Absolutely. And if you're a caster, you're even more screwed because
0: uh, it says here, the creature is also treated as one level lower for the purpose of level-dependent variables in spell casting.
1: Yeah, so you're always a slightly weaker caster. slightly weaker. So you want to come back? Sure. But there's gonna be Be a price. A price. And you probably want to pay that price. If you're gonna actually pay, have the party chip in 10,000 gold, and take all of the debuffs you must Love that character and it must be a great character if the party's gonna chip in for it So to me it's totally worth it like what's a few minuses in terms of your powers and abilities If you get to have back that character that you and the party and the story love so much, right? But it is a high price.
0: It is a high price, and it's something that, you know, when 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 Gormley fell, it wasn't even an option. Not only do you have the money, you don't have the caster to, to do that. This is something that happens when you're probably in book six of an adventure path. Right. That character's been around since book one, and shit happened. It got crit. Yeah. Times four crit, dead. And everyone has to decide, we cannot continue this mission without that character. Let's do it. Let's bring right. bring him back, but they're going to be... You know,
1: you know, you can also... Yeah. Another option is, and I'm pretty sure that this is right, if you have a place where they can be in gentle repose, mm-hmm. you can continue the adventure and resurrect them months later. Yeah. like it, it doesn't have to be right then. As long as there is some magic that is going to keep their body from, what's the word I'm looking for? Deteriorating. Deteriorating, whatever. Decomposing. Decomposing you will be able, you can resurrect
0: them. But look at it like that, like, okay, so months later, but then, say the PC, when he dies, or he or she dies, everyone was at 12th level. Alright, let's put him in gentle repose. The rest of the party keeps adventuring to 14th level. They bring this character, then they're like, alright, let's go back and get Tom, you know, and he's still <laughs> at 12th level, but an effective 11th level. It's James. Back. It's James. <laughs> James the Ratfolk. We are going to get James the Ratfolk Arcanist. <laughs> uh But yeah, so you he died at level 12. You guys at level 14 decide,
1: alright, it's finally time to bring him back. He comes back at level 12, but he's technically a level 11 he's just gonna die again yes so let's talk about lower level a little bit when like the case would which happened on the podcast and you do always tell us to bring backup characters to sessions have it ready to go so that we don't have to do character creation during the recording of an episode the idea behind that is the resurrection is going to be so expensive it's gonna be really hard to do and how would you penalize a, a PC you know bring in a new character as you can see so far with especially Nestor and Della, they came into the game at the current level that the PCs were at, with no deficiencies in any way. Mm -hmm. You didn't punish the player at all for their character dying. Is that a conscious choice on your part, or is it just you didn't realize you had another option? Well, no. I, I, I would disagree. The
0: punishment was losing their character. That's what I think. That's what I think. I mean, that's enough. Losing Gormley. I mean, Matthew was so bummed. It was, his, was... First, his first adventure path, his first character to die, the first character of the party to die. And then for Skid, for Galabras, he was just coming into his own. And obviously, he's not dead per se, but he's taken out of the game. To me, that's penalty enough. You, I'll give you plenty of starting gold. You can buy all the stuff, so your character comes in at a level ready to join this party.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it incentivizes the creation of new characters mm-hmm. into a long term story, which is a great idea, in my opinion. You want to have your players challenging themselves to now that they know more about the plot to bring in someone that would be, you know, maybe more invested mm-hmm. in uh, my Council of Thieves game, which we talked about before with Nick Lohan. He, when his character died, which he talked about on Canon fodder, when he brought his new character in, he was able to make it so plot relevant to the AP, right? Because he had played it long enough to get what the motivations were, who the great villains were, everything. He, the end villain of the adventure path was like his target, you know, he, and he knew it all because he had been playing for. So I think that there are in a long term campaign benefits to encouraging players to bring in new characters. So to say, if you bring in a new character because your character died, they have to be one level behind everyone else. Yeah, that's a comment. Or you right? have to do a first level character and like work them up,
0: you know. You're not encouraging risk.
1: No, you no, you And I think you're not. you
0: should encourage risk in games.
1: Yeah, and also there are there is a certain level of risk if you do make them come in at a lower level. You know, if you think about sure. it, like you come in at a lower level, you're risking in combat being not as effective and dying quicker, but if you stay safe, your experience is much higher than it would normally be at that level so you're going to level up quicker yeah it's a, that could be a fun way to play too but we just haven't done that before yeah i have i've always wanted to do that and i've thought about that like you know let's say
0: if lork ever comes back i'm not just going to give you eighth or ninth level or tenth level or eleventh level whatever but, if whoa, lork whoa, comes whoa. back oh, whoa. Should, should, you're not should
1: i have not discussed this you? damn it oh, look you got to earn that shit <laughs> <laughs> so he'll be way way less effective than he was before <laughs> But he'll be a lot more worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you again, Matt, for the fantastic question. Remember, guys, if you want us to address your question on cannon fodder, write into us at glasscannonpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, this weekend yep. is the Glass Cannon Retreat. You got the details from Troy in the intro to this week's episode, and we are really looking forward to all the events that we have planned hopefully you guys can join us at various points throughout the weekend we're really looking forward to it don't forget this weekend gcp retreat be there yep
0: this is cannon fodder 21 joe that means our cannon fodders can drink legally now (laughs) let's go
1: get drunk see you next week